welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this special episode, we'll be discussing measuring impact with Bonnie Beresford, Laura Paramore, and Kevin M. Yates. But before we do, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast, Bonnie and Laura, and welcome back, Kevin. Thank you, David. Delighted to be with everybody today. Uh, now, impact a perennial hot topic in learning and development because it's been the Achilles heel of our profession for as long as I know. So perhaps we should start with defining what we mean by measuring impact. Uh, Bonnie, would you like to kick us off? Absolutely. You know, when we hear people talking about impact, I, I truly believe they mean business impact. Hmm. And when we talk business impact, we mean business metrics. And what we're striving to do then is show that our training or our learning interventions had an impact on some business metric. It might be sales, it might be customer satisfaction, it might be turnover, it might be reduced injury rates, but those sorts of measures. And to do that, you've got to get into the business to get that data. I do think one of the challenges that that we have is we try to measure the the impact of our whole learning department. But by that example I just gave, if you're measuring the improvement of sales, that's just your sales department. If you're measuring the improvement in customer set, that might just be your call center. So some organizations, I think, overcomplicate it, thinking that they have to measure the impact of their entire department. Mm rather take it program at a time and figure out what that program is supposed to impact, measure that. Then if you wanna add them all together, go for it, but don't try to boil the ocean because Mm -hmm. sales has different KPIs than manufacturing, than customer sat. Yeah, I think that's when uh, when trying to um, uh, measure the impact of the department, a lot of the time it's to justify um, the, the, the the learning and development department uh, rather than necessarily the, um, uh, the 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 outcomes meaningful metrics. Um, uh, Kevin, Laura, would you like to add anything there? I, I agree completely with Bonnie. She did a really great job of explaining that we are making impact across each individual department. I would like to add to that that our impact from learning comes from a behavior change. And the behavior change is what creates the impact in the metrics. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about impact. Bonnie's absolutely correct. We've got to deliver on the metrics. But in order for us to deliver on the metrics, we need to understand what we're actually doing in learning, which is changing the behavior in each individual department for being able to change errors or productivity. Um, and if we understand the behavior that we're doing, then we can correlate that to um, and directly show how those behaviors change those metrics. So when we're talking about impact, absolutely the metrics, business metrics are the absolute holy grail on what we're looking for. But in order to do that, we have to be able to carry it back down through to what we do in learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And Kevin? Yeah, I'll answer that. And this is just going to show David how how much in, in tune and in sync uh, me, Bonnie, and Laura are because I'm just doing a plus one, a plus 100 to everything that, that Bonnie said and everything that Laura said as well. And just really to take it a step further in terms of what um, Laura talked about, performance is a manifestation of behavior. 
right? Performance is a manifestation of action. And so when you ask Bonnie, you know, like, what are we measuring? You know, Bonnie said, we're measuring business impact using business metrics. You know, Laura said that we're, be- we're measuring behavior change, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to add to that story by saying, also what we're measuring is performance impact, right? The extent to which training and learning measurably influences behavior, actions, and performance. So I would add that on to everything, you know, that we've already talked about. What we're really looking to do, I believe, through training and learning performance support solutions is measurably influence human performance, right? And I would add again to what Laura said, I believe that not only are we looking for the extent to which training and learning has changed behavior, access, and performance, but there are also times, David, where training and learning is a great solution to maintain performance or sustain mm-hmm. performance so that it doesn't drop or so that, so that it doesn't dip. So yes, there are times where we're looking for a signal for how training and learning has changed behavior, access, and performance, but there are also times where we're looking for a signal that shows the extent to which training and learning has sustained or maintained performance as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And Kevin, staying with you, I mentioned in the introduction that it's a perennial problem and a source of anxiety for learning and development. So where do we usually go wrong when it comes to measuring impact? Oh, boy. Where do I start? <laughs> Man, that's that, that's like a laundry list, right? But, you know, I'll, I'll say from my perspective, and this is where so much of my time, energy and effort goes to support uh, us being on this measurement journey. I think that where we go wrong is what so many people have heard me say before. If you don't plan for impact in the beginning, it's either going to be difficult or impossible to measure in the end. And I'm just telling more truth about that, David, just in terms of what we can and can't measure. And I guarantee you, pretty much, if you don't plan for it in the beginning, you're going to have a hard time trying to measure or you're going to get lucky and stumble up on it. Mm. Right. In either case, I believe that there needs to be intention and specificity and purpose up front. So. If you are able to gather the information you need that informs decisions for instructional design and learning solutions and methodologies that measurably impact human performance and business results, if you start with that first, you're going to be positioned in such great shape to actually measure the impact of training and learning. Mm -hmm. And so what that means, David, is before anything is designed, before anything is launched, consumed, and utilized, you have to be clear about where you expect to impact people's performance, how you expect to impact business results. You need to know upfront what measures, key metrics, key performance indicators are we going to use to get a signal for the impact of training and learning. All of that has to be worked out upfront. So to circle back to your question, David, my view and my experience and the work that I've been doing for the past, I don't know, 10 or so years tells me our biggest struggle as a community is that we are taking a post-mortem approach to measuring mm-hmm. impact, which means that the dead body is there, so to speak, and we're like, okay, what was the impact? Versus saying, we know what the impact is, or mm-hmm. we know what the intended impact is. Now let's go take a look at the data, the metrics, the facts, and the evidence to confirm or show the extent to which training fulfilled its purpose. That was a long answer to your question, ma'am, but, but that's my perspective. Kevin, Kevin, I want to jump in on something you said about, you know, if we stumble upon good results, in a post-mortem kind of fashion, then we want to take credit for it. But that makes a very difficult causal argument. Yes. If you didn't even expect this to happen, and now you're going in hunting for something good so you can tout the efficacy of your program, that, that's a tough argument, as opposed to laying it out from the beginning and saying, 
hypothesizing that if we do this training, then people's behaviors will change like this. We'll see this evidence in their performance. And then when we get these business results, we can claim them. Mm -hmm. If we stumble upon them at the end, it's really hard for us to take credit. And we all know we're going to have the marketing department saying it was good advertising. We're going to have the, the nursing department saying, well, we got new equipment. It's always going to be something other than the training if we don't plan for it up front. I'd, I'd like to add something to that, too. I, everything you were saying is, is absolutely dead on. I also think it's difficult for us to go in and start to do measurement. And part of if we don't, if to, to, to use Kevin's point and, and, and Bonnie's uh, expansion on that, if we don't identify up front, then how can our conversations be about that up front? Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times um, we we are almost afraid to measure. Like if we measure, we, first of all, we're going to find out something that people don't want to know, right? Which is absolutely crazy. I always tell everybody all data is good data. It just tells you where you are, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if we necessarily have to say up front what are going to be, what, what has to happen, why wouldn't we communicate that up front before we even start? to shift the mindset and to shift our reputation into we're drivers of this change versus we're reacting to the change. So, you know, piggybacking on what you've already said, absolutely, we need to do that. But equally important to me is the thought that we need to be able to show them that we can address these things and that we are the driver for that change. So the reputation that we currently have as a fulfillment center goes away. It's one thing for somebody to come in and say, hey, prove that you did something. It's another for us to say, hey, look, what do you need me to do? And I'm going to come in there and I'm going to do it because we've agreed on what that is. And then I'm going to show you whether or not I did it. And if I didn't do it, I'm going to show you how we get there. Mm. So I that needs to be um, part of that discussion as far as upfront so that we can drive the process other than just, you know, going back and saying, hey, we did it, you know, yo for us. Because Bonnie's right. If they go, they say, oh, we look for something there. Then who drove that change? It was an accident. We don't want want them to say, we can create this change. I think what we're all saying is this alignment up front is essential. Mm. And not just amongst the training team, it's got to be with the business partners. I mean, the business partners are the ones that are paying for the training probably. And they're put, they're taking their people off the job to come to our training. Mm. They have some expectation. They're not giving these people a vacation to come to training. <laughs> they want them to go and they want them to come back better. But mm. if we don't get them to work with us to articulate what better looks like in observable, measurable terms, it's going to be A, difficult for us to design a program that works mm. and B, difficult to measure it. And I, I like to follow a process that we I, I call measurement mapping which is really doing this whole kind of needs assessment up front. But well, what's the business problem? How do you know? How's it evidence? What behaviors are not happening? Mm. What would it look like if these people were performing the way you wanted them to? What aren't, what aren't they doing? And we map it out, as Laura had said, all the way from what do they need to know to the behaviors you expect, to the performances they would deliver, to the business outcomes they're going to generate. And when we do that with business partners, you know what? It, it can be scary your first time because you, you might think they don't care, but they do because now you're speaking their language and you're saying that every ounce of your energy is going to go into helping them make their business better. Mm. 
Yeah, I can. I, that certainly resonates with me, especially when you go when you're invited into a conversation or a situation gets you in front of a stakeholder and you can talk about um, uh, what it is that they're they're seeking to achieve. Um, on the other side of that coin, I know that a lot of learning and development people will build a learning and development function from the curriculum outwards, and so they see the problems to solve, or gaps in the curriculum or in the content libraries, uh, and so uh, so much of the language in learning and development, I think, provides clues. Uh, as to, to what the priorities are, uh, whether it's the delivery of programs or the provision of learning content, uh, but very rarely do massive investments in, say, off-the-shelf solutions derive from rigorous analysis, let alone performance analysis. So I, I wonder, uh, Kevin, if I, if I can ask you, how, how do we make measurement more broadly in learning and development a forethought rather than an afterthought? Well, you know, interestingly enough, David, it's what we've already said, right? It's mm -hmm. what Laura said, it's what Bonnie said, and it's what I said, right? It's having very different kinds of conversations with our business partners and our stakeholders. And as you heard me say earlier, David, I'm doing much more truth telling now, right? I'm going to tell the full balanced story about this measurement journey. So what I mean by that is, right? So I, I just said that what it takes is different kind of conversations with our business partners and our stakeholders. And here's the reality. Those kinds of conversations are not easy mm -hmm. and they're not easy because it's a shift in our mindset and our business partner and stakeholder mindset as well. The historical traditional mindset is really what Laura kind of touched on a little bit, right? Historically, we've been seen and by we, I mean, training, learning and talent development teams have been seen as a fulfillment center, right? Mm -hmm. Or as I like to call it, a fast food center, because what normally happens, right? If we just keep it real to bottle modern day, modern day vernacular. Our business partners and stakeholders come to us and they say, I'd like one e-learning, one instructor-led, uh, and a side order of video to go, right? That's what it feels like. And then we take that order and then we go off and we create our thing, and we make our thing, right? What we're asking now is for a very different kind of conversation and mindset, which means that we want to ask questions about business goals. We want to ask questions about performance requirements to achieve those goals. We want to talk about performance gaps. We want to talk about KPIs that we use to measure the extent to which the business is successful. We want to talk about KPIs that show human performance, right? None of that has anything to do with training, but has everything to do with getting what we need to make the best possible recommendation for a training and learning solution that will measurably influence human performance and business goals. The other thing we get when we have that kind of conversation is an opportunity to discover when training and learning is not the solution, right? Mm. So that's what I mean when I say we got to tell all sides of the story. We got to tell more truth about that because the reality is that there are times where training and learning is not the most appropriate solution. And then there are times, there are times where it is. And in those instances where it is, we have to have those very different kinds of conversations that are discovery-based, that are more focused on performance and less focused on training. Mm. Uh, Bonnie, Laura, would you like to, uh, to, to add to that about uh, making it a forethought? Sure. I've worked with several organizations that have seen the value of these early on conversations and they have made it part of their intake process. Mm. Like they've formalized it into their process that they're having these discussions. Now, how good these discussions are and how deep they go depends both on the learning consultant and on the business partner. So it's, it's spotty. We're not there yet, but you got to start somewhere. And Kevin, I'm going to take a little exception to something you said that you said, it's not about training. 
Well, it is and it isn't. All these conversations are going to tell you what the training needs to deliver. So it's going to help you with your design or it's going to help you with where you were going, where training might not be the answer. So it does all feed into what your solution is. Maybe that's that might be where I would be coming from. Maybe it's not training. But all these conversations are getting at what performance do we want these individuals to do? Yes, that's true. I I, I want to add a, another layer to this, just based on my experience. Um, when we're having those conversations, you know, we we've been talking about having these conversations for 10, 20 years. I mean, I it it most frustrating thing about ever getting into this this field, sometimes I just think, what was I thinking? Um, but anyway, um is that we keep saying we know what to do. And then we, we always say, why aren't we doing it, right? And one of the things that, that we have learned, um, and we've been doing this for a long time, it goes back, um, and I'll just, my background, my dissertation focus was on the disconnect between learning professionals and business professionals. So that kind of took me on that path of why are we having this trouble? And I think some of it, and I think Bonnie and Kevin have both talked about the disconnect in the conversation. What we have found is that if we can kind of speak their language, and a lot of that is, if you think about learning, if you think about what learning brings to the table, it is we can change performance. If it's a learning problem, to Kevin's point, only if it's a learning problem, we can give them a knowledge, a skill, or an attitude change, right? That's what we know that we can do. Well, a knowledge, skill, and attitude change manifest into certain things and business outcomes. One of those is a basic knowledge. One of those is a critical thinking skill, and one of those is a physical behavior. And if you think about all of the things that we do in learning, all of the learning objectives that we have, they can be categorized into one of those things. We give people knowledge so that they can make good critical decisions, critical thinking, decision-making, problem-solving, or they can do something physically different. All of them can manifest into that. Many of our counterparts, our business counterparts, are thinking and visualizing through I want them seeing them to, I want to watch them and make sure they're doing this, or I want them to make these decisions and these critical thinking, you know, things, decisions and solve problems this way. So if we can bridge the gap between our conversation of objectives and all of those things into categories that they understand, that will help us to get even clearer on those upfront conversations as far as, and like Bonnie said, what is it we've been doing? What is it we need to be doing? What are the differences in those things? But have them in terms of skills instead of learning objectives or the learning as a whole. Then we get right down to brass tacks of what this person should be doing. And then we can measure against those things. And that makes for the difference. It's just another layer. Well, Laura, I've got an example. I was working with an organization they, uh, on their leadership development, and they wanted... Their, their goal was to have everybody live the values. And when I asked them, I said, what does that look like? Yes. And we're talking senior executives who designed the program and, and built the vision, the mission and all this. They could not articulate what they really wanted their people to do. Exactly. And that became a really interesting conversation because they came to us wanting us to train their leaders to do this. But they exactly. couldn't articulate what this was. Exactly. And by the time this this turned into like a three to four hour meeting of arm wrestling and what would it look like? And we had to actually get down to individual departments because it would look different in manufacturing exactly. than it would in sales. Exactly. And when we they met- had such an aha. It was mm-hmm. it was an uncomfortable 
discussion until they realized we were making progress, but it took a while to make progress on that. <laughs> but the training would have, if the training was to have people live the values, how successful could we possibly have been? Yeah. Right. Normally people would have taken that and conveyed the values, right? They would have not taken it to the action level, which is something that we find is really challenging for people is, you know, when we go into organizations and we see their courses, all of them are conveying knowledge. None of them say, why am I teaching all this knowledge and what am I supposed to do with it? Mm -hmm. so we measured a, a coaching, a leadership coaching at one time. And Bonnie, we did the exact same thing. We had to meet with a coach and said, what exactly are you looking for when you're looking and judging whether or not they have this skill? And so all the work was in the upfront, figuring out what the stand, what we call standards. And then we can, if we know what the standards are, it's very easy for us to reach them. But if we don't know because they don't know, because we haven't categorized them in such a way that they understand them and we understand them and the criteria is not the same, we're always going to fail. No matter how many metrics we look at, right? If we can't get those behaviors right, then we can't say those behaviors actually changed in order to change those metrics. Yeah, Do you guys realize where we've come in this conversation? We started talking about measuring impact and now we're coming, we're using measurement all the way, it's coming all the way around into the design of everything we do, not just the metrics part of it, but the everything. Absolutely, well, the Bonnie. And, and I have a methodology that connects so much to what we're talking about here, right? And it's called impact-based design, right? Because it circles back to why we're doing what we do. And so if we are clear about performance expectations and performance requirements, we then have what we need to inform decisions for impact-based instructional design. Right. And right. that's intentional. It has to be intentional. It has to be purposeful and it has to be, you know, very specific. You know, from my perspective, if we really want to activate performance, if we want to trigger performance, then we have to create training and learning experiences and solutions that do just that. Right. So then that's where we are fulfilling purpose as it relates to what we glean or learn or discover from those different kinds of conversations that you know, we're talking about having. And I want to circle back to one other point because, again, in the spirit of telling more truth, the reality is that when we ask business partners and stakeholders questions about performance, quite often they don't have the answer. And that's okay because that's not where they're focused, right? So what I do to help them get to the answer is something that you just said there, Laura, in terms of what I ask. So what I have experienced is that when I ask business partners and stakeholders who are embedded in the business, who know nothing about performance, right? When I ask them, what are the performance expectations? I get the deer in the headlights and I'm like, okay, that's not the right question to ask. So I kind of shift that and I say, okay, in order for us to achieve these goals that you talked about, what does it look like real time day to day when people are acting, behaving or performing in a way that helps them achieve business mm -hmm. goals? That contextualizes it very differently, right? Because now you're saying, tell me what it looks like. Now that they can answer, right? When it shows up real time, day to day on the job, what does that look like? What are people doing? How are they behaving? What actions are they taking? And before you know it, they're answering the performance expectation question without even knowing that they answered it, right? Exactly. So, so that's the approach that I use. So, so we've uh, we've touched on there what uh, what this practically looks like with the uh, the, the values example there, the uh, the uh, the leadership example. Um, Laura, if I can come to you and ask, what tools? Um, should we use to measure what matters? Uh, if I remember uh, uh, correctly, you mentioned performance, behavior, uh, improvements, and uh, and change. So, so what what tools can we use? Well, um, that's where we have some challenges in our industry. Um, we don't have a lot, you know. Right now, currently, people are 
are using, um, you know, their LMS to give them information on how many courses are run or how many people attend. And they are using surveys, which are opinions. And, and most of us understand that surveys are, again, opinions and opinions self-report is very different than what actual, what, what actually happens. Um, it, the, the best way I can, I can solution that I have been able to find is that if we actually can measure the outcomes of what happens in a learning program. So going back to the conversation we had before, um, everything, if we create what we call, and Bonnie calls a measurement map, we use a blueprint. And that blueprint is saying, here is your objectives and here are the metrics that you're doing. If you can get a corresponding assessment to those actual objectives, like if you have a behavior, obviously you have a checklist that you're looking for, right? If you have a critical thinking skill, then you have some um, factors that you can put together in a scenario-based question where you can go in and ask in real time, what are in, in you know your job, specific to your job, what it is, what situations as a nurse would you run into? And in order to do that, you have to design, you know, Kevin was talking about his impact design. We have ROI by design, which is the book that we wrote about it. And we call it measurable instructional design. And the only way that you can actually measure it with the tools is to say, I have a direct connection between my assessment and my objective. Mm -hmm. So if my objective is laid out such that I have the conditions of performance, and then I have the criteria performance, which is all of the things that I need to be able to do to, to, myth, to do that, then I can create a corresponding assessment that hits that, right? So then it's a matter of getting a tool to be able to directly measure. You may have four or five different questions or four or five different observations that you have for each individual outcome. And as long as you can get a tool that can give you that, then you can measure against achievement of that particular outcome. Not So every objective is going to be a observable behavior, a critical thinking, or a knowledge. And all of those things are going to have corresponding ways. So if you end up that way, if you've got some tools that can do that, we, we, we use a, a proprietary, tool, proprietary tool that we have. But if you have a tool that does that, then you can go back and look at if your objective is not met, you can look at the corresponding evaluations for it and say, where did it fail? That gives you data on saying, what instructional methods did I have that didn't work, right? Because I can see what failed. And then on the opposite end, if you roll all of those up, all those objectives up by some of those assessments, then you have an overall view of, did I cover that topic well? Did I cover that course well, right? And then it can roll up to, did a series of courses roll up? And did a did, did the organization roll up? And to, to map that to Bonnie's measurement map, then I'm looking at the behaviors and then the metrics from each subject. And then you can show that causation all the way up through the metric system. So the tools, we don't have a lot of tools. You know, we, we went through, uh, learning goes through these great phases of, sh of shiny objects. And, um, one of the ones that people use now is, um, or people have been using is that XIPI or where they go into e-learning and they check, they check what activities people are doing, what they click on, which is extra information, but it doesn't really say, did I actually, am I actually able to do this? Right. Yeah. So your tools need to adjust to where we can actually measure what is what cause and effect of my learning. I couldn't do it here. I can do it afterwards, and my methods in between did that. Um, another thing is with respect to measurement, uh, as far as tool goes, when we measure, we need a tool that can take those assessments and measure them at different points. 
to Kevin's earlier, um, you know, what he mentioned earlier is that if we, it's whether we sustained it, whether we put it back to the job and still do it, if we create a tool, or I mean, if we create a, a unit like that, then we can measure it at any time. And we can see where the organization is at any time against the standards of that performance. So survey tools are out there, David. Uh, there are only so many people, only so many leadership. And a lot of, I think in my personal view, that has hurt us because when we go and do a survey and somebody doesn't like it, I mean, all of us have presented somewhere, right? And you always have somebody in the room that says, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And somebody else says, oh, it just sucks. It was awful. Right? Um, and so you know that that's never going to be reality, right? And mm -hmm. so know that. They know that this is just a survey. It's just a tool that you might want to do uh, additionally to your foundational, foundational measurements. But we need some measurements that we can directly do a valid and reliable assessment against those, those objectives and be able to roll it across at any time. Yeah, and Kevin, sense. you and I have, have talked about systems that might be in the workplace where we would see evidence of the behaviors because people are doing the things uh, that we ask them to do, whether it's using a CRM system and logging things or whether it's using a performance support app to when you're interfacing with the customer or something like that. Um, we have to get clever on some of this in terms of where the tools or where the data is gonna come from to look at behavior change. Because sometimes it's invisible to us because people come in for training and then they go around the world and absent somebody observing them with an observation checklist, which by the way, I happen to love, um, it's sometimes difficult to see what the behaviors are. And absent a, a system like Laura has and absent checklists, we have to look for things that are existing out there. Exactly. But, you know, Bonnie, your point of looking in tools, like if somebody's using a tool, if you've got a software, you're teaching in software, that's an excellent, it's, it's really a checklist, right? It's a, it is, an yeah. Right? Um, and, it, and it's an on-the-job application. So, you know, there's a difference. Um, in my view, we need to be able to measure two different points. We need to be able to take our, whatever that measurement is, measure it in the classroom, at the end of the classroom, so that we can show the before and after, right? And take that same measurement, because it, another point, we, I think, we don't know if we touched on or not, but all those objectives have got to be written for the job. That's the big thing we find in the design issues here, is that people go in and they write them as so ambiguous that it doesn't necessarily fit the job. Hmm. So we get it to where it fits the job, then it's naturally going to be able to be seen, like you're saying, Bonnie, on the floor. We'll be able to see it. If we've got a measurement where we can watch them do it in class, give them the tool and let them do it in class, then we can verify they know how to do it. And then we can take that same observation later and see when they do it actually on the floor. The, when we see it later, if it fails later, if we've done it in class and it fails later, those are very different issues. Those are not learning issues per se, right, Kevin? Those are yeah, really yeah. on the floor. Those are environmental things. So that that gives us the knowledge, the data to show whether it fails here, whether it fails here, and our actions are very different, right? And I want to Laura, you're that. singing my song because that's that's my measure to prove and measure to improve. Exactly. Measure to prove, yes, it worked, or measure to improve because, well, they knew it in class. Three months later, they don't know it anymore. What's happening on the job for the knowledge to be lost or the environment to get in the way? Exactly. And that's why measurement to improve is sometimes more powerful than measurement to prove. Mm. Right. 
Well, as we say in the African-American church, Bonnie, you're preaching that. You're definitely <laughs> preaching. So, and, and here's what I want to add to that. Um, in terms of tools, David, you know, to kind of circle back, here's the good news that I don't think we talked about. We don't always need a new tool because mm-hmm. Bonnie touched on a little bit, right? Some of what we need is already there. We just haven't leveraged it because mm-hmm. if we're using business metrics, business data as signal for the effectiveness and impact of training and learning, then the business is already measuring what's important to them. What we want to do is use those business metrics and measures as what we anchor onto or hook into as guidance for what we want to influence or impact or sustain or maintain. And if those data points and KPIs already exist somewhere in the business, we don't have to reinvent that. Mm. We can partner with whomever owns those metrics for the purpose of collaborating to see is the needle moving or is it, you know, maintaining itself in instances where we need it to for how that business metric is, you know, uh, performing or, or moving mm. or not. And it's so, a credible measure because it's coming right from the business. It's, it's theirs. The they believe measure. it. It's the most credible measure because it's something that the business has already valued because they're mm. already tracking it and monitoring it. So, yeah, you know, there are tools out there that we can use. Yes, great. All right. But we don't always have to go chasing after new tools or additional tools or incremental tools because what we need quite often, in my experience, already exists. Mm. Let, let me add to that. Actually, you made me think about something, Kevin. You're absolutely right. There are things that we that we should be using those metrics. We should always be using what metrics that the company's already got because that's what we're trying to fix, right? But what we often don't have visibility to, let's just say using our, um, our you know, an error rate on something, right? If we have an error rate on something, it is the tools that we don't have very good use of right now is what are the steps that we are teaching them in training to get to them to be able to do that outcome, which we're measuring in that error rate, right? And that's what I'm talking about with respect to the tools I was talking about. It's not about not using their metrics. We absolutely should be using their metrics. We should be backing into their metrics, right? But there's so much we teach them in training to be able to do the behaviors, the steps that I have to take to make sure that error rate doesn't happen, that we don't have visibility to. So we in learning have to create it. And we have to create it and connect it to our objectives so that we, we, we've got that, that in between that, what we used to call the black box, right? That black box of what we're teaching them in class, are they going through those steps to change that metric? So I hadn't really articulated that way before. I had to hear you say what you said in order to figure that out. But, um, but yeah, when I'm thinking about it, those we have to have both. We absolutely start where you're talking about and use all of the metrics in the organization because we have to fit into the organization. We're not going to change them, right? What I'm advocating mostly is for us to add to it and for our own science to come through and for us to measure our own science so that we can show them the rigor behind what we do in order to get them to change those metrics. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm making a note over here to my right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and Bonnie, um, you know, we've, uh, if we if we fast forward uh, a, a little way and, uh, and and we've made impact uh, a forethought rather than an afterthought, uh, we are speaking with uh, with our stakeholders about the the impacts that they plan to make or they they desire to make uh, as a result of our intervention, uh, and we've uh, we've we have then seen the the needle move it's important for us to 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 then amplify 
our successes, isn't it, in order for us to enhance our reputation uh, and grow our currency so that we can do more of what works rather than simply what's expected or what we're asked to do. So how should we go about communicating and profiling our successes? It comes, who is the audience? And typically when we want to do this sort of thing, the audience might be other business units in the, in the organization because we want them to value us, or maybe it's the it's that business unit we just worked with. So it's important to know the audience. And um, Laura, you said it earlier, speak the language of business. This is all about what we did for them. And it's communicating in their metrics. I made the mistake early in my career of going through the full ROI calculation on something and presenting the results as a 387% ROI. And they kind of looked at me and said, so what? And I realized I had gone too far. What they were Mm -hmm. really after were the business metrics. Mm -hmm. When I said, oh my gosh, well, what this really means is the people who went through the full curriculum of training sold two more cars a month than the people who didn't. Mm -hmm. I could have stopped there. I did not have to do the ROI math because the business people don't know what that percent means. Mm -hmm. And they're after the change in their performance. Mm-hmm. And for them, they can they know what the value of one point of run rate or one reduction in safety, uh, you know, 10% in safety or 3% in sales. They know what that's worth. And they don't need you to run the minutiae numbers about the opportunity cost of so many salespeople in class. So keep it simple. Keep it in their language. Mm-hmm. And Tell them how good this is. Tell them that this is really outstanding. And with their partnership, you were able to do this. Going back to what Kevin and Laura said, the only reason the training worked is because they helped you design it up front. And I've also found that it doesn't hurt to say, let's apply for an award. Mm -hmm. And then I, I work with a lot of automotive companies and they have different brands within the companies. And if one brand gets an award, then the other brand wants some too. There's a little competitive nature going on. And if, if the, we did good work for them, first they want to see the impact study. And then they say, hey, can you do that for us? Yeah, that's great. Um, Laura, any, uh, any tips there? Yeah, first of all, I was going to talk about those awards. Bonnie, I found the same thing with our ROI. People out in our industry, they're always going, oh, I want the ROI. That's they say they want it. They say they want they it, do, but that's not really the what they want. It's not what they want, but that they think they don't even know what it is half the time. And they want you to tell them how to do it. And you're going, seriously, people would skip. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I agree with that. And as far as the awards go, unfortunately, awards for measurement are not always a big deal for them. They are so they have not been able to really get good measurement. So they emphasize those awards on how much money is spent on training and how many people are in training and all that. When I've seen some of those awards, I think seriously, people, anyway, we're a little out of whack there. Well, there's the, the one that I always go after is the, is the chief learning officer business impact award. To me, oh, maybe that that's the gold standard. Uh, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the good one. I hadn't, hadn't done that one. Um, but uh, one thing I want to specifically add just to, as a, as she touched on it, I want to just expand on it is when we are showing our value, she pointed out that we have these performance, these metrics, these performance metrics. And that's such a key point because so many times people go in and they're doing, we make a difference between operational metrics and strategic metrics. There are so many operational metrics that the business units are paying attention to 
that um, we, that's what we need to pay attention to, just what Bonnie said. And it's articulating against those. Many times people, learning professionals go to a conference somewhere and they say, oh, we need to attach metrics. And they attach revenue generated or customer satisfaction, all these things that are so high level that don't even uh, have such a fraction of the subject that we're teaching. Mm. We look at the subject that we're teaching and say, of this subject, what is the behaviors? And what are the, if I do this behavior poorly, where is it going to show up? Or if I do it well, where is it going to show up? That's what Bonnie's talking about. She's talking about those operational procedures. I mean, uh, metrics, not the strategic ones. And that is, and then for us to help them understand the behaviors made the metrics and that this metric connects to all those strategic metrics that they may be thinking about. We need to be able to draw that correlation and map to them. Otherwise, they don't understand where we fit. And they, that's exactly where, you know, if we did that measurement map or your your um, um, blueprint blueprint up front, then you've got that map and you can take them on that journey and show them, we did this and look what happened and this and this and this. Laura I, and, and Kevin, um, how do you feel about some qualitative? Because I personally, I love getting some qualitative to add stories from the learners to any sort of presentation or, or sharing. And sometimes that's what the people really, that's what the audience really remembers is, is the story. Yeah, but I, 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 I agree, Bonnie, right? I think that, you know, having some qualitative data as part of the impact story is a good thing to do. I think that where we have to be careful though is ending the story there. Because I think that what's happening a lot now is we're stopping at the qualitative data story, which more often than not comes from survey results. So what people are reporting is, hey, people like the course. People love the instructor. instructor. People enjoyed the food. I mean, people like the facilities. Okay, great, wonderful. But let's talk about the extent to which, based on qualitative data, we can expect a change in behavior access or performance because of how people responded and reacted to their experience, right? So we got to contextualize. And most important, we just can't let the story end with qualitative data. It's it's in a in what I like to call a chain of evidence, right? So qualitative data is just one of the links in the chain of evidence that tells the impact story. So I think that qualitative data is valuable, has a purpose and has a place. I just think that we have to be sure to include more to the story and not just leave it at the qualitative data. Yes, and, and if doing something like a success case interview and having the person's story about how they learned this in class and how they applied it and how it helped them with a patient and that patient's family sent them a thank you letter because whatever, whatever. I mean, those kinds of rich stories, not, not the stuff from surveys, but really life stories. Yeah, that's powerful. Those types of stories are, are incredibly powerful, right? Because it comes from a person who said, hey, I had this learning experience. And as a result, this is how it impacted, pun intended. This is how it impacted my performance. This is how it impacted my work. And this is how it impacted my clients, my customers, our business, right? That's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. All because Laura had a great blueprint and outlined the behaviors I needed to start with. <laughs> and I just to add, to add as well, when I was at Disney uh, and had uh, a lot of success with, uh, with, with achieving the desired outcomes, I asked my stakeholder to become a, an advocate for my team and our approach. Uh, we wanted to work like that. We wanted to work in a partnership with the, with the lead stakeholder and make the planned difference. So when we did... Uh, I asked our stakeholder whether with her peers uh, and to uh, my uh, my peers, whether she would uh, be a vocal advocate. And that helped us to uh, to to leverage 
the first of all gain the currency but leverage the currency because many more stakeholders approached me and said hey could you do with us what you did over there uh, and i think that that that's pretty powerful as well that is powerful david kudos to you for for hearing that right can mm. you can you do that for us because it worked for them over there bonnie yeah. and laura how many times have you guys heard that i mean what a powerful request what a what a powerful um reason for a request but i heard about the impact that you made over here now i want something similar over here for me too i mean that you know bonnie you talked about you know it not really being possible or not possible but that you know somehow chasing after value is a different story right but david just gave an example of where we are able to measure value of the training and learning function based on experience that someone had so that that's a good example of that mm. Evan, I, I thought that you articulated um, the answer to that very well uh, as far as it's part of the story. Um, it, it is part of the story because we're, 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 when ultimately we're all working with people, right? And some people are moved more by stories and some people are moved more by data. Mm. I think the learning profession has done a pretty good job of some of the qualitative stuff. They've done a pretty good job and they've learned how, in David's example, to get advocates and to be able, we've done what we could without the, without the um, quantitative data, other, you know, that other type of data. We've done what we could and we've honed that, that skill pretty well. Um, I, I think that we want to always continue that because we're talking to different people who have different things that motivate them. Absolutely. Mm. So we, that is part of the story. I think where the biggest gap, though, is, is in the other type of data. You, mm. So... I think if we lead, if we do what Bonnie suggested, where we lead with the formal data of this is the cause and effect of these things, and then we add on the other, that's the sweet sauce. Yeah. If we do one versus the other without the other, that's that's not going to ever fit, tell the full story. And But if we lead with a qualitative, then I don't think, I think we'll lose people in the room for the other. I think we have to start with what the other business... Because if we think about other departments in the in the organization, they're not telling about, well, somebody was easy to read my spreadsheet or, you know, those kind of things. They're saying this is what my spreadsheet did in finance. And this is what my, you know, this is what my engineering team created. This is what, you know, they're talking about actual outcomes first. The qualitative is only something that you really see in really learning reporting. So we don't want to make that the forefront. We want to look like the other departments, at least until we get our credibility back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and add those qualitative because that's something we other people can't do. So we've got we've got the best of both worlds in our department, right? So I, I just wanted to make sure that we led with the one and carried on to the other so that we can catch all the audience, like Bonnie says. If we have that other, it's going to make more impact to more people. Yeah, well said. Uh, and, and now as we look to wrap up the conversation, Kevin, if I if I could come to you first, um, uh, because if if the listener is inspired by by this conversation uh, and um, wants to make leaps forward in their own measurement of impact uh, in the ways we've described, how would you recommend that they start? That's a great question. And, and it's going to sound like I'm repeating myself or maybe we're repeating ourselves. I just continue to believe, David, and, and to our audience, that the best way to position yourself to have successful experiences with measuring the extent to which training and learning solutions are measurably influencing human performance and business results is to plan for it in the beginning. Mm. Be proactive, be intentional. Before you design anything, before you create anything, be curious, have conversations that are discovery-based, talk about performance, talk about performance outcomes, 
talk about metrics and measures that are already in place that give signal for human performance and for business performance. Those are ways in which I believe we can position ourselves to be more successful with measuring the impact of training and learning. We have to be proactive. We have to abandon what I call post-mortem approaches to measuring impact. We have to be intentional upfront about what we're chasing after, what we're looking for. We have to know what we're looking for. Impact needs to be proactively defined. We need to be clear about what it looks like when it shows up real-time, day-to-day on the job. And I think that if we give these thoughts and ideas consideration that I've just described, I believe that we're going to go so much further in the impact measurement journey. So that's those are my thoughts, and that's my recommendation. Wonderful. Bonnie, uh, anything to add? I, I would echo the be curious. You, you've got to be curious in this business, both uh, you know in the design, but also in the measurement. You're coming at it as a, from a scientific perspective almost. It's like a hypothesis. If I do this, then what? Hmm. And so we want to be curious about it. I, I think another thing to, to if, if you're going after those discussions, um, like Kevin is saying, which we're all encouraging, start with something easy, something that's more tangible to measure, like a call center where they've got lots of data, you know, because they're tracking number of calls and customers sat and that sort of thing, or sales. I would not recommend starting with leadership because it's kind of fuzzy. You need to get confidence in yourself and your abilities with something that's a little easier. So find something that's a little more tangible. And that would be a recommendation. Start small and pull the data. You don't know what you're going to find. Mine, mine, I mean mine, like data mining. Mine the heck out of the data. And you might be surprised what you find as you start segmenting it. Uh, One client I was working with got into this, and after our first round through, he said, gosh, Bonnie, now after everything we learned here, now I'm scared not to know on the next program. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. That's powerful. That's powerful. Mm. I mean, for someone to say, I am now afraid to not know, my goodness, Mm. that's awesome. It is, yeah. And Laura, uh, uh, what would you add? Uh, I would piggyback off of what they said. Um, one of the biggest challenges I think that we have is uh, as learning professionals shifting our mindset. Um, we have we have this feeling we cannot measure ourselves um, and we have a fear of data. We mm. have fear of, you know, we, we've been relegated down to, you know, just being an order taker and we've kind of taken on that for that that thing. So I I would challenge learning professionals to hold themselves accountable. Let to, to echo on what Kevin and Bonnie said exactly. Be curious. What is it that I'm? What impact am I making? Figure out. Recognize that other people are out there doing this. It is being done, so it can be done. Answer that question right away. Get your mindset in the place of I don't just have to take what the organization is giving me. I have to now say one of the biggest. You know, one of the biggest things that we have found is there's change management that happens when you bring in measurement into an organization. And our biggest challenge is not going through the process and getting the numbers. We can get the numbers crazy. Our biggest change is get, shifting that organization to understanding the learning department's a very different thing than what they thought it was. So giving them giving them the data 
And, and the only way they can get the data is by first going in and saying to the organization, I'm holding myself accountable to deliver on these behaviors and be able to identify whether these behaviors are changing these metrics for you. That is my job. I'm going to hold myself accountable and help help them shift their minds. I think that's the main thing. If we can shift our minds to holding ourselves accountable and recognize that it can be done, and you've got experts in the field right here on this call that can help to, that show you the way. So do it, because if you don't, then stop complaining that we're not being, <laughs> that we're not being, you know, get a seat at the table. You know, we have to be able to um, want to make the change. And so many people are beaten down, I think, and they've tried it with some of the old methods and that, that were not really real solutions, but good, good moving us in this direction. So there's a lot of apathy out there. Yeah. You know, and, and David, you'd asked the question about a tool. And I think what you've heard from all three of us is there is no silver bullet. There is no tool to go buy to do this for you. This is work. Yeah. But it's so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But no silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a powerful and, uh, um, uh, a powerful way to, to end this conversation. And Laura, you mentioned that, uh, uh, if, uh, if our listener, wanted help with this then uh, then they can reach out and so we'll put your contact details in the show notes uh, but that's uh, all left for me to say um, is thank you very much uh, everybody for your contributions and uh, Laura Bonnie and Kevin thank you very much for being guests on the learning and development podcast we appreciate the opportunity it's great great as we discussed measuring impact is notoriously difficult but without it, our profession cannot progress and we can't fulfill our potential. There is a huge role for learning and development in the upskilling and reskilling efforts required to plug the skills gap. But we won't do that without holding ourselves accountable for actual, planned, meaningful impact. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find, again, links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.